0: Right, Uh, for a few weeks now, we've been uh, looking at uh, the church as the community of God. And last week, I talked about us being. Forgot? I talked about us being an involved community, involved with God, involved with one another, involved with society. And this week, I want to talk about us being a missional community. And also, at the end, tie in some of what I shared last week as well. So I want us to read from Matthew 28, the whole of it. After the Sabbath at dawn on the first day of the week, Mary Magdalene and the other Mary went to look at the tomb. There was a violent earthquake, for an angel of the Lord came down from heaven and, going to the tomb, rolled back the stone and sat on it. His appearance was like lightning, and his clothes were white as snow. The gods were so afraid of him that they shook and became like dead men. The angel said to the woman, "'Do not be afraid, for I know that you are looking for Jesus, who was crucified. He's not here. He is risen.' Just as he said, come and see the place where he lay. Then go quickly and tell his disciples. He has risen from the dead, and he's going ahead of you into Galilee. There you will see him. Now I have told you. So the women hurried away from the tomb, afraid, yet filled with joy, and ran to tell his disciples. And suddenly Jesus was, met them. Greetings, he said they came to him, clasped his feet, and worshipped him. And then Jesus said to them, "'Do not be afraid. Go and tell my brothers to go to Galilee. There they will see me.'" And while the women were on their way, some of the guards went into the city and reported to the chief priests everything that had happened. And when the chief priests had met with the elders and devised a plan, they gave the soldiers a large sum of money, telling them, "'You are to say his disciples came during the night and stole him away while we were asleep.'" If this report gets to the governor... We will satisfy him and keep you out of trouble. So the soldiers took the money and did as they were instructed, and this story has been widely circulated among the Jews to this very day. Then the eleven disciples went to Galilee, to the mountain where Jesus had told them to go. When they saw him, they worshipped him, but some doubted. Then Jesus came to them and said, "All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. And surely I am with you always to the very end of the age." I read through this whole chapter just so we could understand the context of the last uh, 3 verses, verses 18 to 20. Jesus had come to the end of his earthly ministry. He'd been crucified and died to take away the sin and shame of all who had put their faith and trust in him. And then he had risen from the dead, so defeating death itself. And that means there's no fear in death for all who have put their trust in Jesus. In fact, we have an eternal hope, cast iron promises of life with Jesus forever. And so now, just a few days before he was taken up in the clouds and back to heaven, Jesus commissions his church. And we're his church. So he says to us this morning, All authority in heaven has been given to me. Therefore go, that's you, go, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. And surely I am with you always." the very end of the age. So I have four points to make from these few verses. First one, go. Second one, make disciples. Third one, baptize them. And the fourth one, teach them to obey the teachings of Jesus. So go. Jesus has always intended his church to be made up of a going people. The church was never intended to be static, stuck, preserved. We never want to say, we prefer it like it used to be. Anybody ever been there? Oh, it's not what it used to be. Hallelujah. That's good. The pro- I, you know, I love Durham Cathedral, and I, I love history and all the, the wonderful buildings that have been built to the glory of God. But the problem with them is they become living museums. And you can go and enjoy God there. Just sit me in a cathedral with somebody playing a pipe organ, and I'm happy as Larry just enjoying God, that's that, you know. But, is that it then? This is the church. We don't want to change it. We like it like it's always been. And so, over the years, people have been praying, Lord, send revival, send revival, send revival, and then revival comes and say, well, we don't want that, because we want revival, but on our terms and like it used to be. I need to tell you, the church of Jesus Christ is a church that's on the move. And you know what? We're praying for revival. And when revival comes, you know what? It'll mess it up. And you'll be saying, oh, it's not like it used to be. So if you come and tell me that, you know what I'll say? Good. Get used to it. We're a people on the move. Aren't we? Yeah, okay. God is always working out his purposes and he does that on the earth through his going church people like you and me. His plan is for us to go and share the gospel with whoever will listen. The church of Jesus Christ is apostolic. The word apostle means a sent one, an emissary. One of Julian's words over, Julian Adams' words over jubilee. Oh, Julian's 99% sure to be coming to do a weekend at the end of this November, by the way, just that should be interesting, shouldn't it? Um, but, <laughs> yeah, I, I, just something else that's happened this week. Oh, too much going on. But, what was I talking about? I remember what I was talking about? Apostolic, oh yeah, that's what it was. One of his words over us is that we are to be an apostolic resource base. That's because we are, as a people, an apostolic people. We are a people who are called to go, to be involved, to be significant. The word apostle, it, it, it just means a sent one, an emissary. Now, that might mean for some of us going to the ends of the earth with the gospel. Hallelujah a big amen coming here from Sarush. Yeah. Does that any, excite anybody? Yes. Yes, it's exciting. You know, it's nice. You know, Turkey, Tanzania. you know I am going to have to go back to Tanzania next year. Just, just know that in the Spirit. And I'm thinking, oh, Lord, it's great, but oh, what a challenge. <laughs> just the traveling, never mind anything else. And some people then get to go to Canada like Raj. <laughs> Not that there's anything wrong with Canada, because Jeremy's even talking of Gene and I going to Canada just to, to be a blessing. But going to the ends of the earth with the gospel is our calling, and some people will be going quite literally to the ends of the earth, to other places, church planting, other parts of this country. That's all part of the package. But for the vast majority, often, we don't have to go very far before we've been sent How about your next-door neighbor? Go there. How about your workplace? Go there. You're sent there by God. You're apostolic there. I'm a sent one. I'm a person who carries the truth of Jesus Christ wherever I go. So we're sent there. Whatever we do, do to the glory of God. Whatever we do, we are sent. We are apostolic in our heart. You got it? Very important. We're not static. We're nowhere. I'm sent. God sent me here. Perhaps you've never thought about your workplace like that. Perhaps you just want to grumble about it. Anybody want to grumble about it? Uh, You know, yeah, yeah, okay. Well, you know, I always say to people this. When you stop grumbling and start appreciating, saying, thank you, Lord, you sent me here, he then might move you on. (laughs) It's, it's often the way. It, God doesn't do anything with grumbling. It just, it just withdraws his blessing. I don't mean we, 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 we don't notice the negatives, but you know what? It's such a privilege to go anywhere with the gospel. It's such a privilege to be with anybody who doesn't know Jesus. So we will be sent there. Yeah? Yes, Paul? Good. We are a sent people. None of us are left out. We're all commissioned by Jesus. But to go somewhere, you know, you need to be intentional about it. Have you ever noticed, I'm, I'm a going person. The problem is I never get out of bed in the morning. That, That's amazing. Yeah, I, I, the world. Oh, yes, Lord. But just getting out of bed, that's really difficult. Anybody know what I'm talking about? Young people, just... Seems to be young people. They're even saying that young people, teenagers, are wired differently, so they should move school and uni so they can all lay in bed longer in the morning. What a load of rot. Absolute rubbish. Could it be going to bed earlier at night? Might change that. However, all I'm saying is this. Every one of us, we all have the same life to live. We all have the same decisions to make. And to be a going person means I have to make choices, the very basic choices of actually getting up in the morning, choosing where I go, making plans where I go, that sort of thing. That's what it means. We have to be intentional about being a going people. We're called to love, to serve like Jesus Jesus does, and be very intentional about it. But then I move to my second point making disciples. God intends us to be intentional about going, but then intentional about making disciples. Don't just hope somebody bumps into you and catches something. (laughs) You know, oh yeah, I just hope my lifestyle tells them. That's okay, but how about intentionally letting people know you're a Christian in the workplace? How about intentionally standing up for Jesus? How about intentionally saying no to sin and yes to God? Standing out in the crowd, how about doing that? A disciple is someone who has chosen to repent of their sin and to put their trust in Jesus. A disciple is a follower of Jesus, putting Jesus first in every area of their lives. To make a disciple is very different from making a believer. You see, we might convince people that the gospel is true, People may come to believe that Jesus is the Son of God. They may even believe that God loves them, but that doesn't make them a Christian or a disciple. People might even come to church. They may be aware of his presence. They, they, they may be overwhelmed by it and be emotional. That doesn't make them disciples of Jesus. A guy called John Wimber, you've heard me mention him before, dead now, but he was the founder of the whole vineyard movement. He's uh, an amazing guy. He made, he's famously quoted as saying this, and I, I love it. Many are touched, but few are changed. And I, I thought that's profound. You see, you can come in a meeting where you, you get goosebumps and go, wow, I can, I can feel God. Wow, it's amazing. And? You know what? You can go to the Olympic ceremony probably and get goosebumps. You can go anywhere and get emotional. You can go, oh, wow. You can go and watch a movie or a, a musical or something and go, wow, it, Whoa. You can be touched by the presence of God. You can be affected profoundly, but still not become a Christian or a disciple of Jesus. Many are touched, but few are changed. You see, what we're doing when we're seeking to make disciples is call people out from their life of sin and selfishness and into life as a child of God, which means we are wholly devoted to Jesus. He is the reason we live. He is the one who gets us out of bed in the morning. We're not just offering the world a bit of love and help on their way to a lost eternity. I had a very vivid picture many years ago. And it was, you, you, you know, I might have told you this before, but, you know, I do repeat myself and I'm allowed to at my age. You, you know, you know lemmings, you know about lemmings that rush, and often there's mass suicides of lemmings. They all run and just hurtle over cliffs. You ever watch that on telly? No. Okay. They're little animals, little brown furry things like this. Well, I don't know how big they are, but, and you know, right? And they they seem to have a herding insect, and they just hurtle and Millions of them just die going straight over a cliff. I've seen it on the telly. Don't think I've met a lemming in person, but not. No, I won't say not unless you're one. But right. (laughs) No, won't go there. The 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 interesting thing is, I had this picture one day, but it wasn't lemmings that were hurtling over the cliff; it was people. And they were hurtling along in their millions, hurtling to a lost eternity. And you know what we were doing? We were sitting in deck chairs going, oh, that's a shame. I was really bothered. That's not what I'm there for. It's not what the church is there for. We're there. To quote William Booth, to rescue the perishing. You know what you see sometimes in when people are on marathons, not that I'm an expert, you understand, but I've watched this on the telly too, you know, when people run, it's about the best I can do, but you've seen people run mile after mile after mile, what happens, they have water stations on the way, and they'll just take one, yeah, oh, Angela knows, you've done a bit of running, haven't you, yeah, it's just, doesn't compute in my brain, it just seems a very odd thing to do, um, Hence my shape. Anyway, but, but the danger is, you see, we see ourselves as like giving people cups of water on the way to a lost eternity. If we're not careful, all we're doing is you're running past. They're running past in their life of saying, let me care for you. Let, let me give you that. Let me give you that. But we don't stop them. We just keep, keep giving them a drink, keep help, helping them. But they're still heading for a lost eternity. They're still heading for hell. A life totally wasted. A life where you stand before God on judgment day. You have to give an account and your name is not written in the Lamb's book of life and you are cast out of the presence of God forever. That's what the Bible talks about. That sounds harsh, but it's not because God, in His love, has offered us the gospel. He's offered us a way to be washed clean, to be made right, so we can stand before God on Judgment Day and say, You know what, God, I'm not perfect, but your Son is, and I'm hidden in Him, and my name's in the book. I'm going to talk more about the book next week. I'm, I'm talking about us being a biblical community. Perish the thought that the church are just a bunch of people offering a bit of love and a bit of help to a world that is heading for a lost eternity. Awful. We offer the world what is found in Jesus alone, and that is the love of God. Jesus came to offer the world total freedom from sin and shame. Here it is. And he said, I'm the answer. And he hung on a cruel cross and his blood was poured out. And he, he said, you trust in me. And every drop of my blood will say, the price is paid. He's washed clean. You're brand new. That's, that's what the cross says to a lost and dying world. And so we point people, not, don't give them just a cup of water or a bit of help, but we point them to a Savior. But you know what the Savior does? He confronts the world. He confronts the world. Jesus came to confront sin in our world. While we love and care for people who are trapped in sin, we are not to leave them there. And it's so important that we lovingly confront sin and speak against it. We need to love society with the love of God. Even society says, Where's the church? why don't the church stand up and say something? People who are not Christians will say, why don't the church stand up like they've done throughout history and say, this is wrong, this must stop. That's what we're there for. We are the salt in society that purifies it. If we stop being salt, we may as well be thrown away. You see, this is the situation society's in. Just a few verses from Isaiah 5. Verse 11 Woe to those who rise early in the morning to run after their drinks, who stay up late at night till they are inflamed with wine. Sound familiar? They have harps and lyres at their banquets, pipes and timbrels and wine, but they have no regard for the deeds of the Lord, no respect. For the work of his hands. Woe to those. About verse 20. Woe to those. Now, this is our world. Woe to those who call evil good and good evil. Isn't that scary? who put darkness for light and light for darkness, who put bitter for sweet and sweet for bitter. Do you know what? We live in a world now that it says, this is wrong, this is wrong, but I'm still doing it. This is wrong, this is wrong, I'm still doing it. Now we've got to the point where, actually, no, we'll change the rules. So we'll say, wrong's right, so I can still do it. You see, once you take truth away, what you do is you say, Truth becomes relative to your life and experience. Truth's whatever you want it to be. That's where we've got to in our society. And so we're saying to people, believe what you're like, it's okay. Well, it's not okay. There is only one truth, and his name is Jesus. There's only one truth, and it's God's truth. Everything else must be looked at in the light of God's truth. All of society, every situation, Woe to those who call evil good and good evil. Woe to those who are wise in their own eyes and clever in their own sight. Woe to those who are heroes at drinking wine and champions at mixing drinks who acquit the guilty for a bribe but deny justice to the innocent. Just have a read through Isaiah 5. It's, it, there's just more. Whoa, whoa. It's terrible. It confronts things. We, our young people today, Friday night, Saturday night, going out mixing drinks. They're interviewing a, a young guy, probably 18. He said, oh, I'm a hedonist. What I live for, he said, is to go out with my friends and to get drunk. I like women. I'm, I'm, I just, I'm a hedonist. I want to enjoy myself. I thought, man, is that your life? Is that what you exist for? Our society is heading to a lost eternity. And we are the only ones who have the words of eternal life. That's the truth. Sin destroys society. And so we need to unashamedly confront the greed, the selfishness, the drunkenness, the promiscuity, and the casual sex that have become the norm in our society. Now we don't confront sin by pointing the finger at sinners. There's no point coming along and saying, I'll use you an illustration for my, you are a dirty, rotten blah, 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 sinner. You know, you, you, there's no point doing that. He's lovely, really. But there's no point doing that because that's not fair, that's not true. What you have to do is say, I love the sinner, but I need to tell you, I hate the sin. I need to tell you about sin. I need to tell you that you're destroying your life if you live this way. I need to tell you that. Because that's the love of God for you, the truth. Oh, look at that rain. Bring it on. Is it prophetic? We don't point the finger, we hate the sin but love the sinner, but sometimes what is needed is tough love. It's okay to say to someone, God loves you and I love you, but it's also okay to say, but if you keep living like you are today, you will wreck your life. And you know what? I am not responsible for that, you are. It's okay to say that to people. That's loving them. But you know, if we say that, it won't always make us popular. We read through the New Testament. We see that many in the early church were put to death. All but one of the twelve apostles that Jesus chose died a martyr's death. Why was that? Because the gospel they preached confronted the sin of the different societies they spoke into. It confronted idolatry, sexual sin, lying, stealing. Confronted it. We offer Jesus as Savior, but for him to be the Savior, he must also be the Lord. People who become disciples choosing to become wholehearted followers of Jesus, because that's what it means to be a disciple. And so now we come to the issue of baptism. Won't be long on this one, but it says baptize them. Now, it's easy to say, I believe in Jesus. But we have to look for more than that, and the first step of becoming a disciple of Jesus is to get baptized. Now, baptism is being totally immersed in water as a public declaration that we're putting our faith in Jesus. It's a picture of the way uh, of the way we're washed clean from our sin and our past by believing by what believing what Jesus did in the cross. We're saying I'm being washed clean. It's a it's a picture of it, and as we rise out the water, we're saying I, I'm I'm new now. I, I'm brand new on the inside. I have a new life in Jesus. That's what baptism's about. But you know what? It's an issue of lordship. It's an issue of saying, you know what? I'm prepared to do this thing. It was a big deal for me. I tell you to get baptized because I was scared of water and I still am. I just wanted to hit the guy who I was in the pool with. (laughs) Frighten me to death. But I did it because because I said, Lord, I, I want to say yes to you every step of the way. See, that's what disciples do. You say yes, every step of the way. Say, yeah, I, I'm trusting in Jesus for the rest of my days. Does that mean once I'm baptized, I'll never sin again? No. We will get things wrong. We will make mistakes. We will be tempted. But it does mean, it does mean that I've, I've set my course I have made my choice, and I will follow Jesus. And if I fall over, I'll get up again and confess my sin. And in his grace, he will forgive me. In his mercy, he will, he will, he will rescue me. He will set me on my feet, and I, he will wash me down, and he'll keep me going. And I will live as a child of God for all eternity. That's, that's what it's about. And it's wonderful, and it's great to be a disciple of Jesus. I'm not telling you about something that's really onerous or horrible. It's costly, but it's wonderful. You get a little bit excited, but being a child of God, it's wonderful to follow Jesus. I need to get to my last point for all this to fit together, really, teaching them to obey the teachings of Jesus. I'm personally greatly exercised about this point. Hebrews thirteen seventeen tells me that I will have to give an account before Jesus on Judgment Day for my leadership and my care of God's people. Wow. And more than anything else right now, I believe God wants me to make sure that we all know the teachings of Jesus so that we can learn to obey them. talking about the the Word next week, but we need to know what Jesus said if we're going to obey it, don't we? And so I'm, I'm looking to prepare all sorts of different material on that that can be used in different ways, It's something called living in the light of truth we're trying to put together. But it's a long term project. But I feel very, very exercised that if we're going to make disciples of Jesus, they believe on Jesus, they get baptized, and then they learn to obey him every day of their lives, working out their salvation, learning what it means to be a child of God. That's what we're called to, that's what it means to be a disciple. So often, when we talk of what is known as the Great Commission like that we started with today, we stop after the baptism bit. I was even reading a book the other day, and it stopped there and said, you know, we're called to go make disciples, baptize them in the name of Jesus, the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. And it stopped. Most of the stuff you read, it stops there. Actually, Jesus continued the whole phrase, teaching them to obey. The Apostle Paul, I think it's in Romans, talks about um, the obedience that comes from, from faith. We're called to obedience. We're called to follow God. We're called to live His way. That's what it means to be a Christian. We're not called to get saved and do as we like. We're called to say, no, I follow Jesus. I'm I'm a Jesus believer, a Jesus follower, and I will obey Him. As the church, we're called to bring the teachings of Jesus to all society. Bring the teachings of Jesus to all society. We're called to disciple the nations with the teachings of Jesus. And we can only do that as we ourselves know those teachings and live in obedience to those teachings. It's not a very popular word, but obedience is crucial. Crucial for the Christian. See, I'm, not, I'm always troubled by what Jesus said in Matthew 7, 21 to 23, I'll just leave it with you, but he says, not everyone who says Lord, Lord will enter the kingdom of heaven, but only the one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. He says, many, which is worrying, many will say to me on that day, Lord, Lord, did, did we not prophesy? So they're using spiritual gifts. Did we not prophesy in your name and drive out demons in your name and perform miracles? He says, then I'll tell them plainly, I never knew you. Away from me, you evil doers. Something actually a bit bit sobering there. Are you a disciple or just a believer? I find that a challenge. My question to us today is a serious one. And I don't ask it to condemn, but I still ask it as a challenge. Are we each committed to to living in obedience to Jesus? Or are we actually thinking, I can do what I like and God will love me anyway? Because He will love you, but His love will confront you and sin will wreck your life, even for a Christian. A big part of our one-anothering, you know, last week I was talking about one-anothering, a big part of that needs to be helping each other to walk in obedience and walk free from sin. People often think I'm Mr. Nice Guy. And I, I hope I am, but you know, it's amazing how quickly people think differently about me if I say no to them or confront them about something. Remember years ago, there was a guy doing quite well in the church, doing all right, and I went around to his home and I was a good friend. But the way he treated his wife was just appalling absolutely appalling. So one day I thought, well, in for a penny. And um, I just said, I, I, you know what, God's calling you, the hand of God's in your life, but you need to deal with something. You, you need to treat your wife very differently. And he instantly took offense, left and emigrated to Canada, actually. Uh, but that's, I think it was good. Nothing, no disrespect to Canada. But, but, you know, if we're going to live for Jesus, we've got to model it got to live it out. I wasn't very popular after that, and sadly, there's a number of people around the world who don't think I missed a nice guy because I've said no to them or not met their expectations or have confronted them about something in their lives. Be warned. I love you all, but if need be, I need to confront you because actually that's my job. If need be, though, God wants us to all grow in maturity so that we can each confront one another lovingly, but in a way that helps us walk in obedience to God. It's called discipleship. It's called one-anothering. Let me tie this in more to what I shared last week. After my preach last week, Jamie Mogford came and asked me an excellent question that with hindsight, perhaps it would have been good to try and answer last week, but he basically asked, where should you draw the line in caring for needy people? And also... In, in terms of one-anothering. Well, where, where do you draw the line? How, how much responsibility do I have for Soroush? You know, that sort of thing. Lots, he says. <laughs> <laughs> Let me speak into that for a minute, and, and this applies to our one-anothering and applies to being missional. You see, in our care for one another and the world, in our love and care for our society, we can fall into the trap of being used by others to facilitate their sinful behavior if we're not careful. People say, I do want your help. But what they mean is, it's, it's a bit like saying to a beggar who, 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 who's an, a living on alcohol, and he comes and said, I need, I need some, I need some money. What he means is, I need you to buy me some more drink. That's not helping at all, is it? That's that's not loving. We have to say to people, No, I can't do that, but I will do this. I'll give you some food. I'll give you something that you can't waste it you waste on alcohol. But be careful we don't get caught up in facilitating other people's sin, other people's brokenness. And that's a real challenge. All we can find, perhaps, our motivations are that I want to care so much for Sarush in his great need. Not that he's got, but you know what I mean. Right. But actually, my motive is, yeah, a little bit of care for Sarush, but I have a need in me to be needed. I have a need in me to, to be very effective and significant in God, so actually, I, I'm meeting a need in my own heart by trying to care for Sarush. No, that's not one anothering. In fact, that will be destructive in the end to Sarush. Don't be driven by a need in your own heart. Many people have that problem, you know. I need to care. I must care. But what you mean is, I I need to be significant. I need to make a difference. And then I find personal value in that. That's not where you find your value. Your value is in who you are in Christ. You are a child of the living God. That's your identity, and that is your value. You don't have to demonstrate it or prove it to anyone. This is very important. And if you find yourself driven, I need to help, I'm meeting a need in my own heart, then, then come and talk to us about it, because actually you need to get free of that. You need to get free of that. I'd love to set you free from that. It's a big, a big thing we see in churches today. God wants us to, to be one-anothering and care for society because we're moved with his compassion, his love, his indwelling on the inside. He wants us to be able to look at the lost and dying in sin and weep with those with, that weep and mourn with those who mourn. Have you ever dared ask God to give you a heart like his? Hurts, you know. But that's, he's given us his heart. He said, I, I want you to love like I love. And I want you to feel like I feel. And you know what? As we do that, it won't earn us popularity necessarily. It might mean people even reject us. And so that need to be needed cannot be the foundation of our care and ministry. see, the love and compassion of Jesus often confronts people. The love and compassion of Jesus may well say no to people, and it may even let them walk away grumpy. You ever had that? Jesus did. A guy called the rich young ruler who had it all, and it says he went away sorrowful. Jesus didn't chase after him. He didn't try and solve it. Listen to what the Apostle Paul says in his letters to Galatians. And I'm nearly done. Brothers and sisters, if someone is caught in a sin, you who live by the Spirit should restore that person gently. But watch yourselves, or you also may be tempted. Carry each other's burdens, and in this way you will fulfill the law of Christ. If anyone thinks they are something when they are not, they deceive themselves. Each one should test their own actions. They can take pride in themselves alone, then they can take pride in themselves alone without comparing themselves to someone else, for each one should carry their own load. Nevertheless, the one who receives instruction in the Word should share all good things with their instructor. I don't have time to unpack all of that passage right now. It's great, but I haven't. But Paul here talks of two things. First, he's talking about bearing each other's burdens and fulfilling the law of Christ. We're here to do that. One another, I'm I'm there to get alongside, to support, to encourage, to to, to be loyal, to be reliable, to be consistent. But Paul also says, he said, each one has to take personal responsibility and carry their own load. And so I have to say to Sarush. You have to take responsibility for that. It doesn't mean I don't love him. It just means I've got to let him carry his own load. I'm not there to carry that for him. Just, just help him with his burdens. Discipleship is about us each taking personal responsibility for our walk with God. It's about us taking personal responsibility and saying, I, I'm going to seek to follow Jesus and to be full of the Holy Spirit and to become a man or a woman of integrity, being available as a servant to bless others on the way I may have need, and you know what? My brothers and sisters will help me and they will bless me, but my reliance is on God, my reliance is on my identity, is I'm a child of God, my reliance is not on Sirush or someone else to meet my need. God meets my need. Very important. Very, very important. I've had people leave church who said, you know what, I'm leaving this church. Not Jubilee, by the way, but I'm leaving this church. Somebody who'd actually been a leader and I'd spent hours and hours with. And he came to me and said, I've got to leave. He said, I'm really disappointed. I said, why? He said, well, I'm disappointed in you. I thought, I've spent more time with you than any other leader. Why are you disappointed? He said, well, you've really let let me down. You haven't fulfilled my expectations. And all I could do was wave goodbye, because the the bottom line is this. I'm not here to meet your expectations, and you're not here to beat mine. We belong to the King. And I will at times let you down, and you will at times let me down. But you know what? On stumbling along together— as men and women of God, will with we'll one another, each other, enough to grow and to work out our salvation with fear and trembling? It's very important that we're not there carrying other people inappropriately. Be careful we don't become facilitators, even in the church, of other people's sin or bad behavior. If someone is after your help all the time, perhaps they're, 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 they could actually be asking you to do what they're responsible for. Don't do it. Maybe help them take responsibility, but don't do it for them. In the same way, if a person's pestering you again and again for help, maybe they may even be asking different people in the church at times for help, asking you and asking you, and people are involved here, and I've seen all that in church. Be careful of it, because you know what? Generally, is a sign that they're not taking, they're not taking responsibility for their own actions and behavior. Of course, we must love people, but real love will at times say no. We do it with our kids, don't we? Bringing up children? I hope you do. This is so important because as we grow in a church, as we grow as a church, you see more and more needy people will be coming in, and you know what? We want to be a loving community. We want to serve people. We want to give them help and support. We want to help them grow in God. We want to help them learn to take personal responsibility for their life. Personal responsibility to pray. Personal responsibility to read the Bible. Personal responsibility to walk in obedience before God. I cannot live your life for you, and you cannot live my life for me. Can't be done. Discipleship. Discipleship is helping, in one one-anothering sense, is helping one another grow and become all we can be. And equally in our society, feeding the hungry, giving hope to the hopeless, we will, as we do that at times, confront sin. And if we do it correctly, then sometimes, some people will be one for Jesus and some people will not like us. And that's part of our calling of being a going, disciple-making people. Let me remind you again of the Great Commission as we finish. Go make disciples of all nations, even people in Teeside. And baptize them in the name of the Father and of the Son and the Holy Spirit and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you, and here's the promise, and surely I am with you always to the very end of the the age. We are bringing the love of God to a lost and dying world, but it will always be on God's terms, not the world's. We have the love of God being poured out amongst us as a church, We're going to help each other in our walk with God. But you know what? It will always be. It will always be on God's terms. On God's terms. Not one another's. I love Billy Graham. People used to ask him all sorts of questions. Got my Bible there. See him on the telly and elsewhere. And he'd always say, and this is a great way discipleship. I'll be talking about this next week, but it's it's great. He just said, "Well, I I don't know, but it's not my opinion that counts." He said, "But God says. God says. If you have an argument, blame God. He'll sort you out." Isn't it good to be a going people? Isn't it good to be a people on a mission? Isn't it good to be a people who are seeing people born again, set free, baptized, living in the goodness of truth? Isn't it good? Isn't it good to be growing in the Word, knowing more about the teaching of Jesus, and learning to apply it into our lives? Isn't it good? It will affect every facet of life. As We prayed this morning, and we've handed some torches out. You know, every one of you who got prayed for, you are now responsible for what you will do with your torch. I'm not. I prayed some pretty big words over some people today. I am not responsible for what you do with that. You are. Now, I'll help you. I will encourage you, but I will not pursue you inappropriately because you are responsible to get before God with it. I say, God, let help me carry this torch well. And my prayer is, Lord, help us carry the torch well in Teesside that we together may shine and be a wonderful torch giving testimony to the glory of God. Let's stand, shall we? God, I thank you so much. I thank you so much for Jubilee Church Teesside. I thank you that you've called us into being, that you've made us your own. You have a purpose and a plan for us that is bigger than we've ever dreamed of. I thank you, Lord, that you've drawn us together for purpose, each to play a part in our day to make a huge difference.